Okay. Well, hey guys, welcome to New Life. My name is Jeff. I'm glad you guys decided to show up today. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Um, if you're watching us down in our gym venue, I want to say welcome to you as well. And if you're a guest visiting down there, man, you are very much appreciated. And I look forward to maybe greeting you and meeting you out in our lobby as well. Uh, today we are wrapping up our current teaching series that we've entitled Invisible. We, uh, we first looked at the invisible orphan in week one. Then in week two, we looked at the invisible poor. Last week, we, we went on a, um, on a very heart-moving um, Sunday, and we looked at the invisible slave. We discovered that there are more slaves on the planet today than ever before. We looked at the plight of the modern-day slave, especially when it comes to the sex trafficking issues. And our hearts were stirred and our hearts were moved. And I couldn't help but think to myself that many of you are probably wondering, why would we go on a teaching series like this? Why would we talk about these needs? You know, why would we let our hearts just be stirred? And isn't it just more emotional things that you're stirring, Jeff? Or what's the action steps? What, what are we really trying to get at? So today I want to start my message out by helping you understand why would I go on a journey like this? And why would I really sense that this is what God would have us to do today? Um, again, like you heard, we're going to be talking about gratitude. And we want to dig into that and understand what God's heart is towards gratitude. But why would we go on a teaching series like this? And to help address that issue, I want to take you to Luke chapter 10. Um, I'm not going to be putting these scriptures on the screen, but in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is confronted by a man that I'm just going to say in, you know, layman's terms today is like a professor of the Bible. I mean, this is a guy who's taught the Bible for years and years and years. He knows it inside and out. And he decided to come to Jesus because he wanted to trick him. He wanted to catch him off guard. So he came to Jesus with all of this knowledge, and he basically says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, being wise as he was, flips it around, and instead of answering the man, asks him a question again. He says, well, what does the law of Moses say? Basically, you're the, you're the one who says you're the, you're the professional at it. You're the one that says you know it all. So what does it really say? How do you interpret it? And the man went on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength. Oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you're right. That's exactly right. If you go and you do those things, you will have eternal life. But the mind of the professor couldn't shut down. He he didn't feel like he had really trapped Jesus. He just had felt like Jesus maybe had one up on him. So he goes, I'm going to get him with this zinger. So, Jesus, what does it really mean to love your neighbor? <laughs> and then Jesus goes on to tell us the very reason why we went through a teaching series like this. Jesus goes on to teach him. He says, there was a Jewish man. This is in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10. But he says, there's a Jewish man who went on a journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as he went on that journey, he was robbed. He was beaten. All of his possessions were taken from him. In fact, he was left on the side of the road, naked, with no clothes on. Now, here's what's interesting, is that at that period of time, and really um, even up to some more modern times, that passageway from, from Jerusalem to Jericho has always been known to be a rough route. It's always been known to be a route with a lot of switchbacks in it, and some tight corners, and some hilly country, where enemies or bandits would like to hide and then they would like to try to rob people as they came that way many times people would only go that route if they were with 
um, you know, backup, if they, if they had some people with them, if they went as a larger group. This particular man that Jesus is talking about, this Jewish man, had gone alone. First off, right off the bat, Jesus is basically saying there was a foolish man who took a journey that he knew that he shouldn't have taken with possessions and goods he knew that he shouldn't have brought with him, but yet he got beat up and he got left next to the road for dead. That's the first thing we need to understand. Then Jesus says to him, while the man's laying there, basically half dead, a priest comes by. A priest. Very, very much like the person who's asking the question right now. A priest, person that their profession is found in teaching God's word, knowing God's word, and helping others to follow God's word, like the man standing in front of him. And Jesus says to this man, basically, the priest saw him, and he saw him laying there, and the man instantly went to the other side of the road and just walked right past the man. Now, why would he do that? He walked past the man because his profession was more important than his ministry. See, the man knew God's word, and he knew at that time it was culturally the norm that if you touched a dead person that you were declared unclean for the next seven days and the priest didn't even want to didn't even want to know whether the man was dead or not he just looked like he was dead and the priest thought to himself i would rather be able to do my priestly duties that make me feel important and that make me feel good about myself it was about me 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 than caring for someone that might be on their last breath then jesus said there was also a assistant to a teacher or some um, of your versions would say a levite and he came walking by assistant to a priest this guy's maybe like a college student at bible school if you will this guy comes walking up and he sees sees this man laying there in the ditch and it says that he kind of walks up to him but then decides i'm not going to touch him either i'm not going to minister to him walks to the other side of the road and goes around Then lastly, as this Jewish man lays there, Jesus said a Samaritan came. One of the things you need to know is that the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't mingle with each other very well. In fact, they saw each other really as enemies. They saw each other as being unclean. They saw them as less than, and they didn't want to have anything to do with them. But the other use of the word Samaritan is that it was used in the Jewish culture to depict a person that wasn't willing to follow the the religious norms of his time he wasn't willing to follow the law of moses that jesus was um, referring back to when he asked the man what do you think it means in the law of moses and even jesus himself one day was called a samaritan because they didn't believe that he was following god's own rules and laws they thought that he was just out there doing his own thing so the samaritan comes along though and jesus says that man he walks right up to the jewish man He walks right up to him and he begins to care for his needs. He begins to minister to his wounds. He begins to put clothing back on him. He picks the man up, puts him back onto his own ride, onto his own donkey, takes him to the next town, checks him in to a hotel, and then pays for the man's needs. Pays for the man's room, pays for the man's food, pays for any of the other medical needs that he has. And then he says to the innkeeper, if the man has any bills that are higher than the money I gave you, I will take care of it for you. That story is the reason why we went on this journey called Invisible. I I don't believe that God's interested in growing a kingdom that is just full of people that see themselves as the priest, that see themselves as higher and mightier than the needs of the world and the community around them, that they're just too dirty and too messy to touch. They're just... They're just 
enough filth or it's just enough their fault that I shouldn't have to do anything to help them. I would rather stand at a distance and judge. I would rather stand and point my finger. And Jesus is saying, I want a church that looks more like the Samaritan man who doesn't allow the needs of the world to go invisible and just cross on the other side of the road. But I would deal with those and I'd minister to them. That's why we've gone on this journey. We've gone on the journey so that the needs aren't invisible, so that you can catch more of God's heart and that you can minister to them. And another way for that to happen is to deal with the topic today of gratitude. And just to look, to look into the invisible aspects of gratitude. That when we become less thankful for where we are in life and what God's given us, and our gratitude becomes invisible, the byproduct of that is that God is becoming invisible in our lives in one shade or another. And as God becomes invisible, man rises up and says, I'm in charge. I can do it the way I want to. And in fact, it's better when I do it my way. God's looking for a church that doesn't let gratitude become invisible in its heart. The gratitude of how God's blessed. The gratitude of what God's given. So that we can be the Samaritan that goes and ministers to the needs around us. Have you ever found yourself, though, like the Jewish man who was beaten and left with nothing laying on the side of the road? Have you ever found yourself in incredible need before? Have you ever been there? Like in real, true, heartfelt need? Have you ever been there before? Because if you have, then you know what, it, what true gratitude feels like when someone comes along that didn't have to, but they come along and they help you. As an example, a couple of years ago, my wife, um, it was early in June, I, I was in a van full of teenagers, and I was driving from Omaha to Lexington to take them out to our church camp out there. And shortly after I got out of the Omaha area, my phone rang, and it was my wife. And I've always told people, if my wife calls, she trumps you. I'm sorry. Um, But that's just the way it goes. If I'm face-to-face with you, I'm going to ignore all other calls. But if she calls, I'm taking the call, all right? Husbands, good advice, by the way, all right? So I'll give you some good advice. Um, and then the next ones down are my children. If they call, um, most likely they're going to trump you as well. So my wife calls. I tell all the students, hey, quiet for a second. It's my wife. I pick up the phone, and on the other end is, uh, is my wife, slightly on the hysterical side of crying and just trying to get her sentence put together because she had just been in an accident. She had taken our Jeep. And she was driving down 144th Street in Omaha, going about 45 miles an hour, when all of a sudden another woman took an illegal turn right in front of her. She had no time to put the brakes on. She slams right into the side of her. She totals out their car, and then she's obviously shook. Um, She hasn't been in an accident like that, um, and so she she shook up a little bit. And in that moment, she slammed her head into the visor. It's kind of kinked her neck. Her glasses flew off of her face. And if you know anything about my wife, now she's almost legally blind. So now she's like, what's going on? I I don't know what's happening. I've just hit my head. Um, I've got all this action that's happening. You know, the car doesn't seem like it wants to start right now. It's it's like it's in shock. Um, And what I'm most thankful for is that a whole group of strangers and some men stopped their own cars, got out, and started ministering to my wife's physical needs, as well as they started reaching out to the physical needs of the woman that was in the other car before EMTs showed up, before policemen showed up. And I'm thankful for those guys. I'm also thankful, and I made a phone call to the police station later on about the fantastic job that they did in just taking care of my wife when I'm on the road 
And, you know, I needed to get this mission accomplished. And these people are rallying around. I got on the phone. I called my friend Mike, and uh, who owns a shop right around the corner from where the accident happened. Mike went over, and he grabbed with his hands, and he bent up on this, you know, rubber fender that was dragging on one of the front tires. And he just bends it up. And then my wife drives the Jeep home. So I'm also thankful for a car that puts someone else's car into the junkyard, but yet she drives away in it. Can I just say that in public? Is that possible? And down in the gym and on the internet for the entire world to see? Um, I am. I'm thankful for that. But I'm not always thankful. I'm not always thankful for people that help me. I wish I could say I was, but I'm not always Sometimes I take it for granted. I'm not always thankful for the Jeep that saved my wife's life. I should be, but I'm not always. I'm not always thankful for the police officers that showed up in my time of need and, you know, did what they were called to do, you know, just doing their job. I'm not always thankful for them. I'm not always even thankful for my safety. I ought to be, but I'm not. Many times in our lives, especially when it comes to the spiritual heart, Many times the spiritual heart, gratitude becomes invisible. And when gratitude becomes invisible, the distance between your life and God's life, it, the distance expands just a little bit more. And today we want to talk about this invisible gratitude that could be robbing your own spiritual heart. So where is gratitude becoming invisible in your life? Where is it becoming invisible? And what is God's heart towards it? Well, to do that, I want to look at two, two critical questions that I want you to basically ask yourself. Has gratitude become invisible in your prayer life? That's the first place I want to look. I want to look into your prayer life and discover, has gratitude become invisible there? And to help you understand this thankful, grateful heart in prayer, I thought it might be good in this Thanksgiving season to take a listen to how this little girl decides to pray over the Thanksgiving meal at her house. And thank you for pie, and thank you for food, and thank you for butterflies, and then thank you for pink, and thank you for playtime, thank you for cars, thank you for bubbles, and thank you for gum, chewy gum, <laughs> thank you for Barbies, and thank you for my friends, thank you for princesses, and then thank you for eyes to see, thank you for cars. Thank you for pretty dresses. Or thank you for my skateboard and my bike. And thank you for riding my skateboard with me. And thank you for riding my bike with me. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you for pretty dresses. Thank you for yes, Christmas shoes. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you for butterflies. Thank you for fairies. Thank you for chocolate ice cream. And thank you for my trampoline. And thank you for corn candy. And thank you for clowns. God, most of all, thank you for my family. They're the best friends in the whole wide world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Oh, man. Now, I think, I think that girl really understands. She's got a real heart of thankfulness, doesn't she? 
I mean, man, she's got a laundry list of things that she's thankful for. So I think that she's kind of, she's understanding a little bit what I'm, what I'm trying to say here today. But we tend to grow comfortable with what God's really given us and what God's blessed us with. We, we grow so comfortable with it that we forget to be thankful even for the small things, even for the minute things. See, this is what happens. Where you live right now, the way that you live, the standard of living that you have has become your norm. That's your norm. And our norm is something that we kind of own and we feel like we deserve it. This norm that we have, this if you own a business, this independence that you have, that's become your norm. You kind of feel like you deserve that. This, um, the finances that you have, you feel like I... I worked hard for this. This is my norm. I deserve this. This needs to be reproduced the same way every single year. And if it's going to do anything, it always needs to get better. And so what we tend to do in our prayer life is we tend to pray that God would sustain our norm and he would bless us on top of that. God's just sustained my norm. We find our prayers many times being built around how God can sustain our norm as if God needs to be reminded about his blessing and how he gave it to you and what he needs to do to make sure that your life stays just as comfortable as it always has been before. But is that really thankfulness? Gratitude in prayer would be more built around just coming back to the basics and thanking God for all the pieces, realizing that he's the commander-in-chief, he's the king, he's on the throne, he's the one who's ruling and reigning, He's the one that provided this thing that you consider now to be the norm. And if he wants to change it, you and me are going to have to find out uh, a way to give him thanks and to give him praise even in the midst of that. Another thing that I noticed about this whole prayer and gratitude is that we use the word thank you in prayer a lot. Just listen the next time someone prays and hear how many times they use the word thank you. We actually use it quite often. In fact, knowing I was going to preach this message, I started listening just a couple of weeks ago to different people pray. And I was surprised at how many times the word thank you came out. I wasn't judging them, but I wondered to myself, I hear the word thank you, but thank you doesn't equate thankfulness. Thank you doesn't equate gratefulness. And one of the things that we have to be careful of is that we just get into these norms of using these words, but yet they're just verbiage and they're not really in the heart. God calls us to do things like this. This is his heart when it comes to um, gratitude. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Be thankful in what circumstances? All circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belongs to Christ Jesus. Could God really mean what he meant there? Could God really mean that he wants us to be thankful in all circumstances? Or do you think maybe God meant something a little different than that? Like, be thankful in most circumstances, but I choose to use the word all, so don't be deceived. No. God says, be thankful in all circumstances. You know what that word all really means? It means to be thankful for the whole thing. Ladies, how many of you love to get, or you would like to get, roses on your birthday, Christmas, Thanksgiving, a random day in the year, or your anniversary. How many of you would like to get those? Okay, how many? Come on, just raise your hand now. This might be a good time just to nudge your husband and say, look, see my hand up? This is a good moment. Just nudge, see my hands up. Okay. That means, though, 
If you were going to say, if you're going to put the rose into the equation, what that means is that you have to be thankful for the, the bud of the rose, which is the beautiful part. The smell of the rose, yes. The look of the rose, the expression of the rose to you, but you also have to be thankful for what's on the stem. What's on the stem? Thorns. To be thankful in all circumstances would mean I'm thankful for both all of the beauty of the rose, but I'm also thankful for the thorns. When we come to God in prayer, God's looking for words that come out of our heart that are thankful even for the thorns. They're thankful for the struggles. They're thankful for the moments that they hurt a little bit because God's working something in them. And we, so we have an attitude where we can say, God, somehow, some way, I thank you for this current struggle, the storm I'm going through because it just might be my future breakthrough. It just might be that if I walk through this pain and give you thanks, that it's going to be the key that opens up my future and sets me free from some of the bondage of my own life that I'm in currently. Now, what else does God's heart have to say about this attitude of gratitude? Look at Philippians 4, verse 6 for a second. It says this, don't worry about how many things? Anything, all right? But pray about how many things? Everything. With what? A thankful heart, offer up your prayers and your request to God. Don't worry about anything. For, just leave that scripture up for a second. Well, what does this scripture really tell you? The first thing this scripture should tell you is this. There's going to be things that you're going you're gonna to be tempted to worry about. That's the very first thing it should tell you. Life's going to throw things that you're going to be tempted to worry about. But God says... Pray about those things. Oh, but let me tell you how to pray about them. Pray about them with thankfulness. Come to God with thankfulness in your heart. So here's how it goes. There's things that are going to come your way that you're going to be tempted to worry about them. God says, avoid the temptation to worry about them. Bring the things you worry to me with a thankful heart, though, and then pray. So it's, it, it kind of goes like this. You know? Instead of being worried about the relationship at work that seems like it's just deteriorating and falling apart, then God would say, come to him and pray, God, I know that you're in complete control of my life and of this relationship. God, I, I thank you that you have the power to heal it. God, I thank you that you have the power to turn back the time clock and reverse the harms that have been done and bring restoration and healing. God, thank you that you are the one who is who's greater in me than he who is in the world. God, I thank you. It's that attitude of just going, God, you are in complete control. I know you are. And I can choose to worry about this, which will get me nowhere. Or I can choose to give you thanks that you're still with me and you're still in control in the middle of the storm. That means gratitude. Basically, God's equating gratitude in this and he's equaling it to faith in action. When you can thank me instead of worrying in your prayers and your requests, that shows your faith and your faith in action. It's not easy to do, but that's God's heart. Let me just tell you a little bit more about God's heart. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Never give up praying, and when you pray, keep alert and be what? Thankful. But never give up praying. But when you do, do it with thankfulness. What does that tell you about God's character and His nature? It should, one of the things, there could be many things, but one of the things that stands out is that God never gets tired of hearing the prayers of the thankful. God never gets weary when you come to Him and you feel almost repetitive, 
but yet you're coming to him going, God, I know you're in control. I know that you've got this. I know you can handle it. When you come with the attitude of thankfulness, God never grows weary. This is the heart of God. So has gratitude, true gratitude, not just the use of the word thank you, but has true gratitude become invisible in your prayer life. That's the very first thing you should do. Take a spiritual test on your pulse right now and wonder and, and, dis, and discern, has it, has it becoming invisible? Because if it is, that's the first area we have to address. True gratitude brought back into prayer. The second question that you should consider to, to contemplate is, has worldly gratitude trumped a godly gratitude? Worldly gratitude, has it trumped a godly gratitude? Well, what is worldly gratitude? Let's just look at it this way. Many times we're most thankful for the things that we can see, taste, touch, smell, and feel. These things that are around us, they're all good. There's nothing wrong with them. You know, they might be our health. Uh, they might be our, our marriage. They might be our home. They might be our transportation. It might be our uh, checking account. Um, it, it could be our children, our grandchildren. I mean, it could be all kinds of things, but they're, they're worldly. They're just earthly issues. Things that are going to disappear the day that you and me spend eternity with God in heaven. The, the significance of those things are just going to, you know, wash away. And there's going to be more important issues as we stand before God in heaven. In fact, many of those things I just talked about, you'll never even see in heaven. Now, if your spouse loves God and is Christ-centered, then yeah, sure, be with you. Your children, sure, in heaven with you. But what will the significance be in light of Christ, the Savior? I don't know the answer to that right now, Right? But I do know this, Christ is greater even than all those things. But when my thankfulness is just built around worldly things, then guess what? We're not digging deep into the true gratitude of the heart of God. Godly gratitude is a gratitude that's built around things that are eternal, things that last forever, things that go way beyond this world, things that will actually matter in eternity. You know what that the biggest thing is your relationship with God or God's grace. God's grace, that's what matters the most, is a thankfulness. Godly gratitude is built around His grace. It's built around the fact that you can have relationship with God. This is what Jesus, Jesus taught His, he taught his disciples the same thing. In fact, it's actually in Luke chapter 10. It starts right at the beginning of Luke chapter 10, that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's preparing them to go two by two to visit communities that he's later going to come to. And he sets them up in Luke chapter 10. And he says to these guys, I'm going to send you two by two with the power of my spirit alive in you. I want you to go into these communities and heal the sick. I want you to cast out demons. I want you to preach the good news. I want you to tell people the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is come meaning the Messiah has come, Jesus is here, turn your hearts over to God, follow Him. There's hope, and there's life, and there's a way. And He tells them in going, you're not going to take anything with you, you're completely going by faith, you're completely going trusting in Me. So these guys go. And when they come back, they are ecstatic. These guys are just totally blown away. They're telling Jesus about all kinds of things, about how, you know, demons were cast out and how the, how the sick were healed and how people received the message and how people rejected the message, Jesus. And we shook the dust off of our feet and we went to the next town where something powerful took place. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, after them being totally excited about all those things, this is what Jesus says to them, teaching them 
godly gratitude over worldly gratitude. Jesus says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written where? In heaven. Jesus takes his disciples straight back to godly gratitude, which is built around eternal things. It's built around the fact that their names are written in heaven. That was the heart of God. That is the heart of God. Jesus was trying to tell these guys by making that statement that your name is written in heaven. He was trying to tell them, guys, have more gratitude and rejoice and let your hearts be overfilled, not with what you just see that happens on this earth, but let your hearts be overfilled with the fact that your names are written in heaven. There's a day coming where you spend eternity with God in heaven. That's what matters the most. Be most grateful for grace. He tells them, listen, I know these things happened through you, but you've got to know that it's not about you. God was in control from the beginning. God was the one that was doing it. So be most thankful in your circumstances that God is the one that's in control, not in what you just did. Then Jesus basically in this one big statement of just keep, keep your focus on, keep your rejoicing in, keep your gratitude in the fact that your name is written in heaven. He's trying to remind them, be most grateful for eternity, guys eternity this life is like a vapor the bible tells us it comes and it goes and it has its moments of rejoicing and its moments of pain but the bulk of your life is spent in eternity with god and he's telling them be most grateful for eternity that your name is written in heaven and could he also be saying hey that's what really matters so when you're out there and you're telling the world the kingdom has come Make sure that people are realizing the thing that they should be striving for is their name being written in heaven. So how can we team up? How can we team up with this heart of God? Have godly gratitude. How can we see gratitude really truly enter back into our prayer life? Let me give you a few quick things that I want you to consider. Very practical things. First off, pray more about what you're thankful for versus what you need. In your personal prayer life, just incorporate more the attitude of thankfulness. And do that by, by a habit of mentioning the things that you're most thankful for versus just the things that you need. Here's another practical thing. If you're here today and you've made Jesus the Lord and the leader of your life, that means God's forgiven you of your sins. And your name is written in heaven. So would you please allow that grace to work its complete work, which means you forgive yourself? You forgive yourself. If God can forgive you, you work on forgiving yourself. That's one of the hardest things to do with grace, is to let grace work its complete work, which is to remove the thoughts of guilt and shame out of your heart and realize that God doesn't hold that over you. You shouldn't hold it over you either. And let it go. That's the full work of grace. Gratitude increases when that happens. You might also want to look at one of the two inserts that I put in your bulletin today. One of them is about missions trips. Find one of those and participate in it in 2013 or 2014. Excuse me. It's coming up fast, isn't it? Wow. Get your taxes done. Um, then then the, the other bulletin insert that I put in there has to do with things you can do locally. Ways you can serve the needy uh, that are just local. Find ways just to meet those needs. As, as you go on a missions trip or you meet the needs of people locally, it's going to remind you of all that God's blessed you with. And in that way, just having gratitude for all that God is in your life and for all that he's done and for the fact that your name's written, but in all the ways that God's blessed you as well. 
Just I would encourage you to do that. And the last thing is keep growing in the nature and the character of God. As you read God's word like I did with you today, what does it teach you about God's character and his nature? As you grow in God's heart and an understanding of who God is, then, man, your attitude of gratitude is going to increase. One of the things I want to help you with in growing in your knowledge of God and your character, in the character and the nature of God is I want to encourage you to come with me. Um, I'm going to be going to Israel in 2015. I want to take a large group of you. We're going to go in January of 2015 um, into February for 11, for 11 days. Information is out on the table. Um, I want you to come with me. We're going to go on this trip and we're going to explore, you know, where Jesus walked and we're going to grow in our understanding of God's word and a gratitude of who God is and how this word of God can come alive um, even more in our lives. So out in the lobby, I want you to check that out. We're going to have stuff out there for a while, but that, now is the time to get on board and to go um, and to be preparing for that as well. Those are just some practical things that you can, you can do easy that just start expressing gratitude and bring this uh, the gratitude that may be invisible in your life back into the forefront. But lastly, what really should motivate you then? What's the motivator that's going to cause gratitude from going from invisible in your life back into the forefront and becoming an active participant in your life? You've got to come to the conclusion where you understand that God hasn't withheld anything, but God has invested his best into you. God's invested his best into you. He hasn't withheld anything. He isn't holding back anything. He's invested his best into you. Look at what Romans chapter 1 verse 20 has to say about this. It says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his in what qualities? His invisible qualities. His eternal power and divine nature. So that they have no excuse for not knowing God. When you look at this, what are, what are the best things that God's given us? The best things are his invisible qualities. What are God's invisible qualities anyways? When I look at that passage, the thoughts that roll through my mind are, well, wow, one invisible quality is the, the enormous power and authority God has to hold the earth and the sun in their perfect place and cause the earth to rotate around the sun at just the right place so that life can exist here on earth. That is a massive invisible quality. Or that the beauty of the creation of the mountains and the oceans, and yes, even at 43 years old, I've come to value the beauty of the plains. Yes. Not the planes that fly. I'm talking the planes. Yeah. The flatlands. I've come to value even those. And there's beauty that can be found in those. And that God, God's invisible qualities are there. I've also come to, to, come to cherish um, the things of the detail that God put into building man. So incredible. So complex. You know, science thinks they know they think they know a lot about the human body. And the more that they find out, it seems like the less they know. And I feel that way even about God. It's like the more I find out about God, the, uh, the more I, I realize the less I know. And man, it just overwhelms me. There's an awe of the complexity and the detail and the intricate uh, detail that God has, you know, put into creation. It's amazing. And then not to mention just his masterful intelligence. This blows us out of the water. When we think we're smart, God blows our minds away. These invisible qualities are God's best that he's given to us. But there's one that still is yet to be mentioned. That's the invisible quality 
of grace. Grace. As shown, as shown through Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Jesus giving of his life, of his brokenness, the broken body of Christ and the blood that was shed is the ultimate sign of grace. And in that, I can, I can look at that invisible quality of grace and my heart can be overwhelmed with gratitude. In fact, reflecting on Jesus and the price that was paid on the cross is the ultimate action of gratitude. So when you came in the door today, you were given communion. I want you to pull that out for a moment. Today, as just an action step of our, of this teaching series, and in wrapping up this teaching series, Invisible, where we've been looking at all of the incredible needs of the world, and we boil it all down to this one moment where here we are, and we're faced with Where are our hearts when it comes to the gratitude that we should have towards God? It boils right down to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul was reminding us. He was reminding us of the brokenness of Christ's body. That brokenness is represented in that piece of bread that's in your communion. He reminded us as well that there was the the blood that was shed by Christ. Both of these were so that the incredible gift of grace, the invisible gift of grace, will be shed throughout mankind. And so that you and me might have a relationship with God that transforms our life. Paul literally said, when you partake of these things, as often as you want to do that, do that in remembrance of Christ. Do that in an attitude of just sheer thankfulness and gratitude for all that God's given. He said to us, he goes, make sure your life is aligned with God's word. Make sure that your life is aligned with him. He never talked about membership in a church. That's why here at New Life, no matter who you are, what church you come from, you're free to partake communion with us. But there's just one, one issue. And the one issue is, have you, have you found gratitude in Christ enough that you've been willing to submit your life to him and make him Lord and leader? That's the first thing. Making Jesus Lord and leader of your life is essential. That act of surrendering your life is a way that humanity says, I'm thankful that you made a way that I could spend eternity with you. See, salvation is part of that ultimate act of gratitude. So as we stand here today, we have these elements in our hands. I'm going to take a moment and pray. When I'm done with that prayer, we're going to partake of these communion elements together. As we pray, I just want your heart like my heart is. It's just to let gratitude, that the Holy Spirit can stir inside of us. Let Him stir that in you. And when we partake of these elements together, they're not just a piece of bread and some juice. But they're expressions of our Savior who gave all that He had on the cross so that we might have relationship with our Father. Let's pray. God, as we stand here before you today, both in our main auditorium and down in our gym. We hold these elements together. We're so thankful that you expressed, you expressed love in a way that you sent your son, that he gave his life on the cross that we might have relationship with you. And that his body was broken, represented in this bread, and his blood was shed, represented in this juice, that, Lord, from a heart of gratitude towards you, thank you. 
thank you, God, because without Jesus, there is no way, there is no way to have our names written in heaven. There is no way for godly gratitude to be truly stirred inside of us. Lord, we're just going to be superficial and worldly gratitude driven. So Lord, in this prayer, let these words not just be a thank you, but let they truly come from a thankful spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So like for centuries and generations, believers all over the planet have held on to small pieces of bread like this, pulled off and shown from a loaf of bread, and with a heart of gratitude, they partake of those things, remembering the broken body of Jesus. So can we together in the gym and here in our main auditorium, can we partake of this together with hearts of thankfulness to our, our Savior?